In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Today's Gospel, the Lord is in a position of intimacy now with his uh, disciples. He knows that the Passion is coming and he is describing now in detail the effects of his commandments of what happens when they are truly faithful to him to the mission that he has entrusted to them and this is where he promises uh, the Holy Spirit if you love me you will keep my commandments I shall ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world can never receive since it neither sees nor knows him but you know him because he is with you he is in you I will not leave you orphans and I will come back to you the beautiful promise of the Holy Spirit another advocate another one that will be together with them the purpose of their lives now has clearly changed he will leave them but not leave them orphaned He'll leave them because he's given them a new mission. But it's not a mission that they will accomplish alone. They will not do so in an isolated fashion, without help, without a tutor, without guidance. He will give them the spirit of truth. It's a powerful statement that, that they will receive this spirit that will guide them in truth, which means that they will have a lot of confidence that that they will speak the truth not because of themselves not because of they're somehow brilliant or more courageous but because the spirit of truth will guide them it will reside in them not just by knowledge but also in the way they behave the way they live the Holy Spirit will guide them the second person of the Blessed Trinity and that's ultimately what will make them bear fruit that ultimately is the reason that the church will grow that the number of those becoming Christians will multiply exponentially after the day of Pentecost and it's uh, good to make that distinction between what it means uh, to be productive in life to be successful and being fruitful in life. It was Henry Nguyen, this famous uh, Canadian author, who had become very successful. He had taught at Harvard. He had taught in different universities in the States. He was a you know, very productive 
author. He had written very much. He had become quite well known, had a lot of prestige. But towards the end of his life, he decided to, well, to come to back to Toronto and to work with people who were mentally handicapped, to work among people who really had just no real abilities. He had worked like 20 years in Harvard, the most prestigious university you could think of practically. And uh, he was kind of like in an ivory tower. And he goes into the humble world of mental illness. And there he saw the difference between having lived with people in the productive world, the people of publishing, the people of research, uh, in some ways the people that make our life better today. These are the people who study how to make iPhones. You know? <laughs> These are the people who, you know, in the long run have an effect on how we live. They are very productive. And they get the salaries uh, to recognize that productivity. Is this a bad productivity? No, it's a good one. We need, we need these things that they produce with their intellectual endeavors, with their research. He saw all those, and he was in some ways part of that. But now he was with what might, one might call the fruitful world. This is what he said, writing about this in a book that he wrote. He said, living with handicapped people I realized how success-oriented I am. Living with men and women who cannot compete in worlds of business, industry, sports, or academics, but for whom dressing, walking, speaking, eating, drinking, and simply playing are the main accomplishments. This is extremely frustrating to me. I may have come to the theoretical insight that being is more important than doing. But when asked to be just with people who can do very little, I realized how far I am the realization of that insight. Some of us might be productive, others not. But we are called to bear fruit. Truthfulness is a true quality of love. This is what we, we want to meditate on, the difference between being productive and being fruitful, having, bearing fruit in our life. I mean, God said to the first man, to the first woman, when he blessed them, to Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish, the sea, the birds and the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground. Be fruitful. And now, it's as though the Lord is saying, I'm giving you the, the paraclete, I'm giving you the spirit of truth. Okay. Just as he said to Adam and Eve, you'll go and do something for yourselves. Make something of yourself. Be fruitful.
God directs us to be fruitful, but we interpret this often to be productive. Naturally, the two are not incompatible. You can be productive, you can be a very successful member of society, do many great undertakings, but also one can be wildly productive, do many great things, humanly speaking, but without being the least bit fruitful, even almost one could describe it as an empty life. Because fruitfulness is not always visible. It sometimes goes simply unnoticed, but it is far richer. Fruitfulness is hidden. It's like uh, the fruit in a soul that comes from a deep interior life. We saw this in uh, somebody like uh, Don Alvaro, the fruitfulness of a life with so much serenity, with his peace, with his Gaudium Compace, because uh, he had the deepest conviction in his heart, deep down, that Opus Dei was from God, that would it would undertake a great good for the church. And that good was not really the good of productivity, of schools, of centers, of universities. When he thought about the good, he didn't think about all those things that Obuste could do in the world, however good they, they would be, however productive they might be. He, when he thought about the good for the church, he was thinking really about the good that all those things would do for souls. The fruitfulness that our lives, our undertakings, our work would have for souls. He himself wasn't really worried whether or not he was liked. The fruitfulness that he cared about you know, was really the fruitfulness of sanctity. He had that fruitfulness in his life. He had that ability to enter into dialogue with God. You, know, you could see it just in the way he would kneel down in front of an image of Our Lady. And of course, our Lord promises that, that it's the Holy Spirit who will produce that kind of fruit in our, in our lives. The fruit of love, the fruit of joy, the fruit of peace, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of patience, fruit of kindness, fruit of goodness, of gentleness, of uh, kindness, I mean, self-control. And uh, this is what we must ask for. And uh, if we were like uh, Henry Nguyen, working among you know, these handicapped people, maybe we too would get quite frustrated because it would seem unproductive. But you can imagine how it required patience, it required kindness, it required warmth to work with these kind of people. A perfectionist might be quite focused on human productivity or seeking really to make something of their lives. And uh, sometimes, uh, you know, we really need uh, productivity. We don't always see the difference we 
want to produce something to prove that we're valuable, to crank out widgets, it uh, frees us from the perception that we might somehow be useless unless we produced something, something good, something you know, uh, useful. We are freed from the danger of thinking that somehow our, our life is useless. We don't want to be uh, perfectionists. We want to enter into that fruitfulness that the Holy Spirit will grant us if we are docile to his promptings. And indeed, our vocation is like a prompting to enter into that fruitfulness. It's like a dynamic that can only be powered by the love of God, the love of the Holy Spirit. We could say that our fruitfulness comes out of our own uh, vulnerability, not just out of our power, our great abilities. Think of the, the ground that our Lord speaks about when he talks about the sower who goes and sows the seed. He speaks about certain types of ground in which the seed simply doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't fall, it's too hard, it's too, I don't know, too many stones, or the, the ground in which there are thorns. Yeah, maybe it rises first, or the, th the, the ground that is too thin. So, we understand if the ground, for it to be fruitful, we are, like, our soul is like the ground, for it to be fruitful, the seed that God plants in that ground of ours, you have to break it open a little bit can't be hard, hard ground. The seed will just kind of like bounce off. It has to be broken. Hard ground cannot bear fruit. It has to be first raked. You know, the farmer goes and rakes the ground. Breaks it up a little bit. And uh, the mystery is that our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, sometimes our illness, sometimes our weaknesses, our many ways of dying to ourselves, are ways for us to get in touch with our own vulnerabilities so that we can bear fruit. After all, our father, in the early days of the work, would go to Madrid, he would go to the most vulnerable people imaginable, the sick, the poor, all those people. And he would ask them to pray. It's as though he was planting seeds there as they prayed. And uh, you could say, the, that's why I think he said that, the, the, the work was born among the poor and the sick of Madrid. And you and I have to trust that these vulnerabilities that we may experience within ourselves will indeed allow us to be fruitful. If we, if we live this, our weaknesses, our vulnerabilities, uh, if we live them faithfully, Precisely when we are at our weakest and often the most broken, the most needy, there we are opening the ground of our fruitfulness. And uh, that's, I suppose you could say that's why Don Alvaro was always united to the vine. He was always aware of this, and that's why he was very fruitful. He understood our Lord's words, remain in me as I so remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And we see that uh, dynamism in the first uh, vocations of the work. 
see, Don Alvaro was fruitful because he understood that that unity that he had to have with the Holy Spirit, as, as well as the unity with our Father, the docility to what our Father wanted. He was the one who spoke to some of the first members of the work, and he himself had received the spirit of the work directly from our Father. He had a deep understanding of the spirit of the work. One of the first members of the work, Jose Luis Muskis, who spent many years in, in the U.S., he was one of the first priests to come here to Canada. We have old pictures of him with uh, Father Joyce Cribano, pictures there at the Manoir from the early 60s. And uh, he recounts meeting Don Alvaro, and he says that Don Alvaro gave us an example of self-forgetfulness, of apostolic vibration and fidelity to the indications uh, of our Father. One of them, Florencio Sanchez Bella, he was so wrote a letter in Valencia, 1940. He said, we went for a walk, talking about Don Alvaro, we went for a walk, and since it was very hot, he invited me to have an ice cream at the Café de la Paz. There were quite a few people, some playing dominoes at the white marble tables. Amid the noise of the domino pieces, the shouts and the exclamations, Alvaro told me about the spirit of Opus Dei, which he had learned directly from the founder, with whom he lived daily. I remember his comments clearly exposed patiently, patiently so that he assimilated them well. Thanks to Alvaro, before my eyes appeared a surrender horizon that I didn't even suspect existed. So he saw something there in Don Alvaro, and it led him to give his whole life to God. And so we need the fruitfulness that comes with authentic humility, authentic transparency in our life. And you'll remember that at the end of the war, uh, our father was invited by many Spanish bishops. They asked him to preach spiritual retreats to priests, to seminarians in their diocese. Our father had that reputation of being a good preacher. Dioceses like that, bishops, would often have recourse to religious priests. Diocesan priests or, or secular priests never did that because it wasn't their thing. They, they just didn't do it. But our father was unique in that sense, that he was a secular priest, yet he knew how to do spiritual direction. He knew how to, you know, how to give retreats. This was quite unique. That on the one hand he was on the same footing as his as fellow priests, but he had that ability. So that meant that our father had to travel quite frequently. He had to go to different dioceses. In the old systems, they didn't have many highways in those days. They had to, he had to go by train. Those days, people didn't drive, travel by car. Maybe just a little bit here and there, but to go from you know one city to the next, there was just like dirt roads. It wasn't it wasn't done. And um, he says that in, during the academic year of 1939-1940, our father spent more than 100 days outside of Madrid. And the number rose to 140 the following year. In addition, since June 1940, he multiplied his visits to the Spanish bishops in order to make them know the work. 
And yet, Donald didn't decide things uh, on, him, on his own, by himself. People would consult him, and he would say, okay, I'll let you know, just let me ask the father. He was uh, very humble. Plus, he was the administrator of the work. He handled finances. In 1941, he opened over five centers in Madrid and then in three other cities. And uh, Don Alvaro had to follow up on the, all that stuff. He ran out of money. There was no money in the bank. And as a consequence of that lack of money, uh, the students who lived in the residence got cold. There was no heating. They couldn't fix the furnace. See, they, they showed that, that aspect of uh, vulnerability. With time, the centers were gradually furnished. There were others who collaborated with their own decoration. And uh, bit by bit, they went to flea markets, they found cheap furniture, st you know, stuff to decorate the centers. So they had their, you know, their ability to, to be productive there too. But Don Alvaro always had a deep sense of optimism, a youthful spirit. In 1994, which was his last birthday, March 11, 1994, it wasn't, I don't know if it was his last meditation, but at the same time, since it was his birthday, he was kind of in a spirit of thanksgiving for his life. He didn't know that in a few days he would pass away. Thank you, Lord. Forgive me for all the times I have failed to respond as I should. And help me more. And you, my daughters, pray that I may learn to fill up the gaps in my life by putting a lot of love in everything. Today, in addition to working in myself a sincere and joyful contrition, I resolve to say with more zest than ever, Nunc Cepi, which was our father's motto, Nunc Cepi. Yes, right now, I shall begin again, with God's help, to travel along the path of holiness, the path which leads me to love, with a new liveliness, which liveliness which your prayers will gain for me. Don't leave me alone. I need you all, each and every one of you. I need your loyalty, your fidelity to your vocation. I need your constant prayer. I need your work well completed and done with love. I need you to bring me more daughters and more sons, more vocations, more perseverance, as a result of your ceaseless apostolate. And that's, that's really all about having a fruitful life. He said, at the end of this meditation, he said, I, in conclusion, I say, I say this. In my heart, thanks to God and to the intercession of our Father, the fire of love is burning vigorously. For this reason, I feel very young. And I really am. I also feel with a holy pride, very much a child 
of our founder. And I want all of you to feel the same. A youthfulness in terms of years is something merely psychological. And it has no more importance than that. What really matters is interior youthfulness. That's what all daughters and sons of God in Opus Dei have always and always must have. The youthfulness of someone who is in love. In love with God. And who makes an ongoing effort to grow in that love. And uh, one of his last quotes was from the psalm, Adeum qui letifica juventutum meam, to God who gives joy to my youth. That's one of the phrases that the priest used to say as he went up to the altar at Mass. As he stood at the foot of the altar, the priest in the rubrics, it was said, in truibo at altarum Dei. I go up to the altar of God. Ad Deum quilitificat even to meum, to the God who gives joy to my youth. And that joy is that fruit of the Holy Spirit that we ask for. It includes gaudium, compace, and is the fruit that the Holy Spirit will give us, that the Holy Spirit gave to the apostles. We can say that often as an aspiration. Ad Deum quilitificat even to meum. the kind of fruit that is distinct from that productivity that we sometimes expect. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.